This episode of The Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Inkpact. Make your customer journey more human with scalable, effective personal marketing that connects your brand with customers, one handwritten, personalized note at a time. Putting human connection at the center of your CRM and loyalty programs. Visit inkpact.com today to learn more and to order your sample note card. Inkpact. Real. Human. Connection. For this episode, we're in London to bring you highlights from the annual Retail Week Live Festival, which wrapped up last week. As retail industry's best and brightest gathered in the UK capital for the two-day event, we were present to pick our way through some of the topics, insights and conversations that are inspiring and challenging the retail ecosystem, and that interested us the most. Myself and co-host Carl McKeever ventured to the event to explore the key themes, topics and challenges that are on everyone's lips in retail right now. From digital transformation and innovative technology to adapting and challenging processes that reflect important issues around both people and the planet. All that to come and more on this event review episode from the Retail Exchange podcast in partnership with Inkpad. Kicking off Retail Week Live 2022 was Boohoo CIO Joe Graham, who delivered the opening keynote of the event. She sat down with Carl McKeever shortly after coming off stage to explain why she believes that the radical change that will be needed in retail in the coming months may not be that radical. So hi, Joe, and welcome back to the Retail Exchange. Um, as a former guest, it's terrific to have you back with us here today. So um, you've just given your opening address. Could you just give me a quick overview of your key messages and themes, please? Yeah, sure. Um, and, th- and thank you for having me. I talked on stage about data but in the context of insights. So the industry over the last few years has heard numerous um, people talking to us about data and you must have lots of data and data is the key. Data is the answer, data is the panacea and the answer to everything in the whole world. Um, And while you're at it, you need to put it in a data warehouse or a data lake, depending on the fashion at the time. Um, But no one's really talked about insights. And when we do talk about insights, you know, we tend to talk about reporting or talking about um, customers in the context of what's already happened. So I think there's real value to be had in terms of getting insights, proper, real, real time and real insights so that you really understand um, what, what you don't know. So it's one thing harvesting and, yeah, and exactly. storing, but you've actually got to interpret it and say, what does this yeah. tell me? And I think we've all fallen into the trap on that one of getting into reporting rather than really um, Oh, oh my God moments where you spot something in the data that really does tell you something that's a game changer. And outside of data, where else do you think is ripe for change? So the other thing is that um, I, I don't think we fully appreciated um, how the workforce is moving. So Gen Z, um, by 2025, 30% of our um, employees will be from that demographic. They are a very, very different demographic to, to probably everyone who's currently line managing. Um, in, in terms of how we've grown up in corporates, what we see is right, what we see is wrong, um, the etiquette. Um, and a lot of that demographic will have only ever worked from home because of the um, recent pandemic. So I think there's some real learnings to do in terms of how that demographic wants to be managed and how to get the best of them, more importantly, in the workplace. Do you think that presents some challenges for employers? In terms of, yeah. yeah. They don't want to stay. They want they they want breadth. They want depth. They want change. They, you know, if they're not straight away on the most exciting and sexiest of projects, they're off. So I th- I think you know really tapping into what works for them is is quite different 
um, and they don't bend to the rules. I think most of us have bent to the rules of our corporates um, and I, I don't think that demographic does. I think we really need to understand how that workforce is going to um, evolve. So f- for you, what are some of the biggest tech challenges now facing the industry and specifically within Boohoo? So I think obviously cost focus, um, you know, and making sure that IT is enabling the business in that space and making sure that IT is as as cheap as it can be. Um, So that total cost of ownership is is where it needs to be and that you're not seen as a a problem in the business. So adding value is super important. Um, I think leveraging technologies that ultimately will create efficiencies so um, robotic process automation artificial intelligence machine learning using your data to give you the insights um, you know there's a whole host of efficiency type tech solutions that i think is where we really need to focus so one of the big things for many retailers at the moment is all about sustainability um it isn't necessarily something which comes under the sustainability spotlight how does boohoo kind of square that circle well so i i would refute the allegation that tech isn't doing anything in the sustainable space Um, so this about six seven months ago i launched something called the tech green print which is hopefully going to set a precedent for how a tech department can function in a sustainable way. And then I also think there's no reason why you couldn't then apply that to the finance function or the legal function or any other group corporate functions, because everybody can be greener if, and, and more sustainable. So this is about function. process engineering Everything. to drive out you know, yeah. more efficiency. To, Coding to, standards. Yeah. Um, effic- yeah, absolutely. Across the spectrum uh, of, of what you can do in tech and how you make it more sustainable. So for the remainder of 2022, what does that have in store for you? We are in the throes of getting ready for our American warehouse. So that's due to go live next year. So that's a big one. Um, we've also looking at um, robotic process automation, looking at an artificial intelligence, how we use that. I've got a few things going on where I'm really focused in on the returns process. Um, we've also got a full portfolio around wholesale offering, marketplace offering. We've got three wholesale partners now across um, our business. Um, what else have we got going on? A whole raft of stuff in the e-com space. So around um, optimization of the app um, and, and, and generally making sure that we're hooked into um, what's going on around e-coms generally and making sure we don't fall behind. So, we, you know, we have quite a strong um cadence of sprint planning that goes on and quite often like I couldn't tell you what's going to be in sprint in three months time because I don't know yet so no let up by the sound no, of it no none whatsoever amazing uh, it's great to talk to you again Joe. um thanks thank very much and enjoy the rest of the event thank you very much one of the guest retailers taking to the stage on day one was multi-brand online retailer the very group the company coo sean hallows and cio matt grest joined us to explain how retailers can create big customer experience improvements through small, incremental change. So you've just delivered a dress here at Retail Week Live 2022 about how the very group is taking customer experience to the next level. Perhaps I could ask you, um, Matt, just to start us off, what does that mean in real terms? I think it's any, any retailer needs to be aware of customer habits and how they're changing over time. I think we're a we're a hundred year old organisation. Our legacy goes back a long way, and the reason we're here today is we've constant, continually tried to stay apace with customer habits. So what what I've just been talking about really is our technology roadmap over the next sort of two and a half years that's going to really put us in a position where we can deliver absolutely world class customer experiences to keep apace with the demands of our customer. And now we've moved from that 
trauma of the pandemic, do you feel that businesses are now at that stage again where they can really start to think about planning ahead and really put down some, you know, you know, much more ambitious steps for the future? And I think I think that's absolutely essential. The world isn't going to go back to how it was in February 2020. It's about looking forward. And I think what's changed is to, in terms of customer buying habits. Uh, online has certainly taken a big uplift as a result of the pandemic. People that maybe previously didn't shop online now do. But also you've got ways of working. Five days in the office just isn't a thing anymore. And, um, and it's up to businesses to really invest in tools and processes to allow their workforce to work that, you know, with the flexibility that they're now demanding. And Sean, how can you know, brands really start to think about those small improvements that can really deliver a big difference to customer and to the business? No, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I talked on stage around how we very want to work closer with our brands and our suppliers. And I think that, um, you know, there's an obligation on us to be easier to do business with and to find, you know, small marginal incremental ways of being able to ensure that, you know, product flows clearly through our systems, through our physical networks, you know, gets to our customer in the right place at the right time that we, we, we handle the return in an effective, a cost-effective way, but also in a way that the experience for the customer, um, you know, is one that, that would prevent, not prevent them from doing business with us in the future. And I think an area that, coming back to brands that we, you know, we are working really closely with now is, you know, we obviously have a model where brands supply into our DCs and we hold that stock in the DC speculatively for a, a customer to order. But we're also now working with the brands much closer in terms of um, developing other supply chain and fulfillment models that enable product to get to customers in a way that works both with them and with us. It's all tech enabled. So working with Matt's team to ensure that we have the right technology to link all that together and to tie in with the systems that the brands are working with. And you know, some of the technology in that space is, is absolutely fundamental to future fulfillment models. So, so, so Matt, does that mean that um, maybe one of the big differences in terms of how you're working now is, is that your customers themselves are actually engaged in this process about what's the kind of tech solutions that they need and how can you help them deliver that? Yeah, so I think if you think about um, beauty is a really good example, right? So the beauty, people buying beauty products, lipstick, makeup, etc. that used to be wholly in the high street. Okay, over the last two years, we've seen Debenhams removed from the high street. Lots of House of Fraser stores closed on the high street. So a huge amount of beauty buying on the high street has disappeared. Our focus then is how we take that experiential beauty buying uh, experience from the stores, how we can do that online. And that's not just a simple shop, choose your product, put it in the basket, buy. That's how we can use augmented reality to bring that previous high street experience into the online experience so people can, can try on that makeup before they buy it. And that sort, of, uh, that sort of experience will extend to all of our different product lines. We're a multi-category retailer, so how can we bring other, the experience of the high street online? And that'll be different depending on which product. And it's about listening to our customers. It's about what they expect, what they demand, and making sure we're staying apace with those customer demands as we move forward, and how we build a technology platform that allows us, allows us to react fast to those demands. And what are those, some of those big innovations that we can look forward to that are coming down the track? So we've recently launched a, a size and fit solution. So we all know buying clothes online, the, you know, the, the jeopardy there is, is it going to fit me or not? You know, I buy a particular size historically, I've ordered that size again, I get it, it's too big, it's too small. So we've partnered with uh, TrueFit, which provides us a, a size and fit solution. So, so before you select that 
small, medium, large, 8, 10, 12, or whatever your size is, you can actually get a recommendation of what size will fit you based on all the customers previously buying that particular thing. So we can get it right first time. So, so this helps the customer because you get the right size first time but it also helps you guys because there's fewer returns. 100%, so everyone's a winner in that aspect. And, th and that's just one example of many as we go forward the next few years, as we're bringing those, we're, you know, leveling up customer experiences across our products. And Sean, when we think about customer experience, for many people when they're um, purchasing online, you know, more often than not, this is about the fulfillment side of it. How is the very group trying to, you know, identify new solutions there to make that process just somewhat nicer and easier for everyone? It's a good question. I think if you look at, um, you know, the things, the, the, the happy path for our customers when things go well is a fantastic journey. You know, you look at the way, you know, when we do it well, we do it really well. However, you know, the same with all online retailers, there is the unhappy path as well. And that is generally as a result of, you know, something to do with your systems, not, not tying up properly or something physical within your supply chain that's gone wrong. And therefore what we do at Veris, we obsess about something called broken promises. We, we obsess about the reasons why customers don't have a happy path and break that down in a very granular way as to why that's happened, where it's happened, how do we prevent that happening again? And that could be working with Matt and his team in terms of some small system changes we need to make, working with our carrier networks uh, to make sure that our journey is, is joined up to their journey. Uh, and working with them on their technology as well as their physical operations, then bringing all that back together to have a single view, data-led view of exactly what we are giving our customers by way of an experience. But it's a cultural thing. It's not just about systems and about people and physical things you do. It's about that culture of the customer being absolutely the heart of everything you do. So really, I guess it doesn't matter which side of your table that you're sitting on, whether that's about looking after your brand partners or whether it's actually looking at your physical endpoint customers. It's all about ensuring satisfaction. Absolutely. We, we want to be uh, easy to deal with yeah. from both our suppliers, uh, manufacturers of the products that we deal with and the customers and I think if we have that culturally in our organization that we will then be a business that people want to deal with however however they want to deal with us and that sort of drives through the, the culture of our organization amazing uh, thanks very much Matt thank you Sean thank uh, you. enjoy the rest of the event thank you in the current challenging trading climate customer retention is a key concern for many retailers Gusto Chief Marketing Officer Tom Wallace and Inkpat CEO Charlotte Pierce explored the issue of customer loyalty, optimising data and the importance of delivering the brand with a human touch. For all brands, one of the things people want to try and avoid is the churn of customers. You know, people that try you once and maybe then are seduced by another brand to, uh, you know, come for an opening offer or to, to try them next time. How do you try and prevent that loss of customers? Um, so, we, you know, early on we... we we tried to sort of step away from the, the word prevent almost because it feels like you're sort of holding people hostage. Um, but it's more uh, trying to make it almost impossible for people to want to, to leave. So uh, understanding what are all the barriers uh, to people continuing to purchase. So you know, fixing the basics essentially, and that be making sure it's delivered to them on time in full, um, high quality, uh, you know, reasonable price as well not, not necessarily the cheapest because so really in a sense almost really working the satisfaction yeah absolutely yeah yeah customer satisfaction is our number one uh, driver uh, so we measure nps um every week uh, and use that as our north star metric for for customer satisfaction and every time someone is not satisfied and are not highly satisfied we want to know why 
and that becomes another data point to feed into our strategies and plans and tactics for the, you know, for the coming year and coming years. How do we overcome all those reasons why people would say this is not for me? And Charlotte, you're very much in the business of customer loyalty. What do you think brands need to be doing to really, you know, think differently about loyalty? And, and you know, you know um, as, as, as Tom said, not necessarily trying to almost force people into staying, but encourage them into staying and, and yeah. give them all the reasons why it's better to be with that brand rather than another. Yeah, I think, first of all, what Tom said about covering the basics is just 101. Brands need to be doing that. But on top of that, we try and help all of our clients get these raving fans that will just love and want to stay with the brand because of the whole experience. So I always talk about this a bit like dating, like if you do what you did at the beginning of a relationship, halfway through and at the end, there won't be an end. So we really help our clients just treat their customers like the valued customers they are all the way across that journey. And it's using those clever data points of things that you know and things that you know about them and where they are in that customer life cycle. Um, just like you would a friend or a family member or you know, mention different things and, and point things out to them. So I think for us, what we see in our clients are during the pandemic, people have shifted their behavior and it's so easy to switch to somebody else or something else. Actually, the brands that have gone the extra mile for their customers and the ones that their customers feel really loyal to. And sometimes that is literally just doing it right, a simple thank you and just helping and giving them advice on other other parts of their life too. So it's really treating them like individuals, but as part of the collective of their customers. And loyalty is one of those things which, you know, is, is easily talked about, but it's very hard won. What do you think are some of the secrets to success to getting it right? Yeah, I think loyalty used to be a card, right? That you got stamps on and uh, you did it at supermarkets. And I think that world is is definitely kind of past and behind us. It's really about the extra value that brands can add. So a brand that we work with and we love is Sweaty Betty and they absolutely nail their loyalty. Like customers rave about them. They, uh, they do the unscalable and manage to scale it in terms of working with their with their customers and I really think the future is actually going back to that a little bit like they have this amazing um, kind of the way they link their stores to online and the communities and the running clubs and the extra value that they offer that's where their customers are so loyal not just the products they sell so I think it's really looking at who your customer is what do they do what are their needs and how can that brand be a part of their life and if you can get to be a part of their life your stickiness is there so I think loyalty is really more than just those points or rewards or discounts it's actually making them feel like an extended part of your business and of course tom the the, the business case around loyalty is very clear the cost of customer acquisition is just growing year on year um, and of course losing customers is 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 costly so from augusto's perspective what are some of the kind of the, the treats the benefits the perks that you offer to customers to to keep them on board for us trying to do it in such a way that is low cost um, is really really effective so um, lots and lots of brands want the ability to get their product out into into people's homes so uh, quite recently um, we did a, uh, a sort of a partnership with Aperol um, timely this time of yeah. year uh, so you know, thousands of uh, sample bottles of Aperol into people's boxes um, we also like to do things that tie up quite well with um, our own range our own menu so recently did another partnership with um, Gypsy Hill Brewing Company as part of our Kind of uh, summer smokehouse range so things that 
make people feel engaged with both um, you know, the reward for the, for the sake of something new and, and exciting, but also that brings them closer to the brand itself by having some tangible link with what it is that we are also offering. And how important is personalization here? Because, uh, you know, speaking from a personal perspective, I know when I've been um, uh, introduced to new products before and sometimes, you know, these, these free gifts come through the post or, or whatever, and they have absolutely no relevance at all to, to my life or my lifestyle. And I think, what on earth has I received this for? How do you overcome such basic errors, Charlotte? Mm. So just like, you know, if you go see one website, you'll see different items than I would go and see, that using that data is absolutely key. So we are really looking to help brands like revolutionize print and obviously what we do is handwritten notes, but trying to bring it into today, like why do I get the same brochure as you and you, Tom, if we shop somewhere and actually our shopping behavior will be very different. I think there's a lot, there's a long way to go in terms of personalizing direct mail that we actually want. Um, and if we keep doing it how we've always done it, it's not gonna work anymore. And whether it's, you know, a moment at home with a family, cooking or something that you can link to their life, I think that's what the future of customer loyalty is really about. Tom, how important is personalisation to you guys at Gusto? Uh, it's absolutely key. So especially with uh, the, the convenience aspect um, and the choice aspect of uh, the huge range of meals that we've got, you can become overwhelmed by that choice, especially if you're, like you say, if you've got particular dietary needs or, or, or something that you, 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 you don't want to eat. Um, if we continue to show that to you, you would start to you know, find it you know, a little bit more difficult to choose, take a little bit longer and potentially uh, you know, just drop out. So being able to uh, almost automate your, you know, your, your picking uh, decision for you and present you in, in, in sort of a, in the, in the best case, the, the four meals that you would have chosen yourself. They come up and they've chosen for you. So you um, actually try to be intuitive for the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course, um, you know, being a, a to see business, we've got all of the data about how you have picked recipes in the past and after you've picked a few, we get you know, a trend of what it is that you like and don't like, so that out of the over 60 recipes we have today, we can recommend, say, 15 of them to make your choosing decision easier, um, because we think, we think they're the 15 that you're uh, going to like the most, and, it, and, it, and it's working as well, and you can measure the effectiveness of that. So every week we look at, or the team that, you know, that builds that um, personalization tool, will look at the success rate of how many people did actually pick mm. from the list that we recommended. We like to cover all the bases on the retail exchange. Carl McKeever was joined by May's founder and CEO, Frode Berg, to explore how advanced analytics and AI can help retailers to strip away the noise to reimagine the customer experience. With the retailers that you're working with, what are they telling you um, about their key priorities right now? Well, we have uh, COVID uh, more or less behind us. It's more about uh, making sure you capitalize on the footfall you have. So making sure every store is greeting customers in the right way. Uh, we have examples of retailers that have increased the share of customers, visiting customers that are greeted by staff by 50%. That drives conversion rates. It, it drives top line sales. Um, so that's a key, key point. You know, converting whatever footfall you have into buying customers is a typical focus area right now. Mm -hmm. mm. And of course, um, the economy is uh, under pressure again right now, this time as a cost of living crisis. Yeah. And despite the difficult conditions which exist for many retailers, what gives you optimism right now that we will find a way through? Well, we see uh, in many territories across Europe where we work that, you know, physical retail is back in uh, business again. Uh, the customers are coming back 
We are seeing growth in retail in many territories, in physical retail. In fact, in the Nordics, uh, where we have our uh, development team and uh, our biggest customer base, we see that in the first quarter of this year, physical retail has grown uh, faster than online retail. So that gives me great hope. Um, creating customer experience at the physical brick and mortar, mortar store is more important than ever and it seems like the consumers uh, like to experience that again. So uh, I'm very optimistic actually on, on behalf of uh, retail that uh, things are turning. It's the goal of every retailer to increase e-commerce revenue and customer retention. Caitlin Aries is responsible for international enterprise sales at Attentive, who joined me to explain all. Caitlin, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about Attentive and what you do? Thank you for having me. Um, well, Attentive is an SMS marketing platform that's built for retailers. We have over 5,000 brands that we work with us globally, um, most of which are in North America, but we've just opened in the UK. So why should retailers invest in SMS now? Well, as an expat, um, I have been in the UK for six years, and I think I probably have a hybrid perspective. I mean, in the US, as you mentioned, it is a much more mature market. I can't think of a single brand or retailer that doesn't send my friend and family text messages in the States. And so I think if you think of SMS marketing, um, and if it follows any and every other digital and e-commerce trend from the US, in about two to three years, we're gonna see the vast majority of brands here expected to and communicating with their customers via SMS. So we, we do a lot of surveys and, and information um, gathering about this to see what the, the UK market wants as a consumer. And we found earlier this quarter, we did a survey and saw over 90% of consumers actually want to sign up for text messages from brands but brands, I think, are a little bit hesitant and aren't sure where to start. Well, given all the experience you have in the market, can you give us some best practice tips about maximizing the effectiveness of SMS? I can try. <laughs> um, so I think the most important thing to think about as a marketer is list growth. I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't have anyone to message, there's no value for that channel. Um, how to do that, when to do that, and doing that at scale is the most important. Obviously, we have some tips and tricks that we can talk about there. Um, the second piece is personalization. As I mentioned before, I don't think it needs to be a very heavily promotional channel unless that's part of your core marketing business. Really knowing when and where and how to personalize and utilizing the data that you have at your disposal to do so. And then lastly, test, 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 and test again. Um, A-B testing is a really effective way to make sure you're sending the right message to a wider audience when you do especially get started. And so I think marketers, I don't envy their position because it's becoming more challenging and the return on investment is reducing, um, but their priority should be really, has always been focusing on how do we improve that customer experience? How do we provide a personalized experience across all of our digital properties and channels? And they're having to find and solve, you know, those existing challenges and find new ways to do that. The silver lining from our perspective is that SMS is a, a channel that has incredibly high returns, can be incredibly personalized, and not only the subscriber growth um, that you get in terms of net new consumers engaging with your brand that you can put back into email or other channels, but also the data that you get from these customers can be have incremental returns across the organization. Fantastic. Caitlin, thank you so much. Certainly personalization is a huge issue here at Retail Week Live. So thanks for speaking to the Retail Exchange podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Another business helping retailers to grow e-commerce revenue by using more real-time triggered messaging sends is US headquartered software company Wunderkind. Dan Taylor, responsible for strategic business development at the company, joined me to talk customer engagement 
and performance marketing. Dan, if I can start by just asking you to tell us a little bit about what the business does and the importance for retailers and brands about delivering one-to-one experiences at a one-to-many scale. And what does that mean and how, re- how can retailers do it? Yeah, sure. Um, so effectively, what we're, what we're here to do is to help retailers identify more of their web traffic um, without the use of, of cookies. Um, so effectively, if we can identify more traffic, we can understand from a device what their email address is, what their phone number is, and we can then trigger messages to them. Um, those messages are relevant to what the customers have been looking at on a website. Um, so it could be an abandoned basket, it could be an abandoned browse, uh, a product they were looking at could have come back into stock and we're able to trigger those types of messages. Um, so really it's making sure that retailers can send highly relevant, highly personalized messages to their customers um, and avoid some of the more generic BAU type emails that, that customers are more used to receiving. It's interesting what you say about personalization because one of the things, I was talking to Boots quite recently and they were saying it's about not being people like me but, but me. Absolutely. And that getting much more down to people feeling like it's a genuinely personal message. Yeah, 100%. I think it, it ties back to, to what I mentioned. A lot of people right now, because of changes that Google are making to third-party cookies, for example, people are increasingly being put into these broad cohorts, these broad groups of audiences. Um, the impact of that is less personalization. They're treated more like other people who may or may not be them. It's almost uh, on the likelihood that they are this kind of person. Um, so by deploying the technology that we can, we're able to bring that personalization back to that specific customer. We'll show them products that they were specifically looking at. We'll show them products that uh, may be of interest based on their searches, for example, and really make sure that messages that are sent are worthwhile and they're going to be interacted with. Obviously, one of the key issues around data and interacting with people is that balance between giving the messages that are useful to them, mm-hmm. but also it not feeling intrusive and their concerns about how data is being used. So how are you trying to balance that? Yeah, that's that's completely fair. I think privacy has been a, a challenge for lots of retailers over the last few years, um, and it's only going to become more of a challenge. There's a couple of things that we do. I think the first is ensuring that we're fully compliant. Um, so that's the first thing. And then it's also, as I say, it's about making sure it's relevant to them. Um, it's the types of messages they're expecting, um, and it really is something that they're interested in, in looking at. Well, it's a fascinating area. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for speaking to the Retail Exchange at Retail Week Live 2022. No problem. Great to be here. Thank you. Supply chain issues are an all-too-real challenge for retailers right now. But while large retail groups have dedicated teams and invest large sums in sales forecasting solutions, access to market-leading AI-driven sales forecasting and inventory management technology has remained out of reach for small retailers. Until now. Inventoro co-founder Radim Jung joined me to explain. If you live in a world where, where on, on one hand you have you have Amazon and, and their IT department is in the size of a city and they they can hire the best IT people in the world and pay them as, as much as they want. And on the other hand, you have your local retailers which pretty got they've got an Excel sheet and they kind of run their business on that Excel sheet only after hours, right? Because Throughout the day, they deal with customers, and in the evening, they try to optimize something on an extra sheet. Now, when, it, when you compare the, the two, it's, it makes it impossible for the smaller ones to compete, right? And it's only getting worse. So, um, we wanted to give a tool to, to the smaller retailers so they can catch up with organizations like Amazon. Because the more we look at them, uh, the more we think they're not doing anything good for for the retail environment, which obviously is bad for the consumer, it's bad for the local economy, it's bad for employment, it's bad for everybody. So we're kind of on a mission, you know, to to give small retailers arms, you know. <laughs> it's the time of war. We all know how important it is to, to give arms to somebody who's weaker. 
So we're kind of doing the same thing for small retailers. It's the great thing about what we do is that uh, they are constantly telling us how struggling they are with their inventories. Dead stock, sometimes it represents 40%, 50%, even 60% of their, of their inventory. Now that holds a lot of cash. It holds a lot of uh, opportunities you know, to invest more, to grow more. And they just seem to be in a spiral where they can get out of it. And suddenly we give them a tool which identifies all this and stops all this madness happening. You know? And it changes the world for them. And they're mostly excited about the fact that they get more time to focus on their customer, on, on their story, on their mission, and they don't have to care about inventory so much. We are, I guess at least hopefully, post-pandemic. I, I think rather than new normal, I've heard people call it the never normal, which might be more uh, accurate. What's your feeling about the remainder of 22 and, and 23, and, and are you feeling optimistic? When we look at the data of our clients, we, we, we see that a lot of them, you know, got used to the booming e-commerce during pandemic and they thought, you know, booming tastes good, let's do some more booming, you know, and a lot of them invested and, and bought extra warehouses and extra inventory just only to be faced with, uh, with, a, with a sort of huge problem of losing sales in the first quarter. We see that businesses who kind of reacted as of Christmas last year are kind of okay now. Some of them did not react. They're only starting to realize what a problem they have right now. And it's the inflation, it's the war, it's the, it's all the negative things you can you can combine together in a in a sort of a retail superstorm. So things are not looking great. Uh, I think everybody knows that, uh, and I think it is more important to talk about technology and and not to be sort of producing even more and more waste on on what you're trying to order and how you run your operations. So you want everything to be lean and to be using your cash wisely and not sort of creating any uh, extra dump you know, elsewhere. So uh, it's a good opportunity for technology, um, which means good opportunity for companies like us. I wish it would be otherwise. You know, I want retailers to strive, but we're trying to help them survive and, uh, and the numbers are not looking good. Thank you, Radim, so much for your time with the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Inkpact humanizing brands through handwritten notes. Retailers are frustrated that after all the time and money they spend on their marketing, it risks getting lost in the noise. They're frustrated by customers spending with competitors after all their hard work, and they're overwhelmed by the cost and complexity of identifying the channels which really work. This sound familiar? Inkpact helps brands build real relationships increase their customer lifetime value, and engage customers at scale through the power of handwritten notes. With Inkpact, you can create scalable, effective, personal marketing that connects your brands with customers, one genuinely handwritten, personalized note at a time. With a 99% open rate, Inkpact stands out from the noise. It's why Inkpact is loved by brands like John Lewis, Brewdog, Sweaty Betty, Me and M, and their customers. Discover how Inkpact can become an essential part of your marketing mix. Visit inkpact.com to learn more and to order your sample note card. Inkpact. Real. Human. Connection.
Chris Brookhalter, CEO of the Retail Trust, was at Retail Week Live to present the findings of a new report into the state of employee happiness and well-being within the industry. We met him to unpack the headline takeouts from the report and explore how the Trust is on a mission to support positive changes within the sector. The report reveals a pretty alarming statistic, um, and I think I'm right in saying here that you found that a third of people working for large, you know, large multinational yeah. retailers would like to leave. Yeah. What do you think is driving that? I think there are uh, a number of factors at play. Um, I think that there is the fact that a, a lot of them are exhausted. Uh, you know, as I say, retail particularly grocery retail has been open the whole way through this pandemic. So people with burnout. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we are seeing, um, you're seeing people get to the point where that there, there is a, a built up levels of anxiety and burnout just because they've been working so hard. They've had to deal with huge amounts of change in that time as well. It's not like their jobs have been consistent. You look at operating a grocery store during the pandemic was a very different uh, set of functions that needed to be rolled out um, compared to, to business as usual. We're seeing some specific pinch points. Um, there are higher levels of unhappiness within junior line management across the industry, uh, which I think speaks to the added pressure of A, working all the way through this pandemic, continuing to have to drive results, but taking on more and more responsibility for the mental health. It's great that the pandemic has made us talk about mental health more, but actually a lot of the junior line managers across the industry are ill-equipped to take on those sort of semi-counselling roles for their team. And of course, a lot of businesses have also, in recent years, um, simplified their structures, yep. removed levels within yep. their hierarchy. So I uh, imagine that what we're seeing here is, is the consequences of that, that some of those tasks and additional responsibilities are given to fewer people. That's right. And then there's, and there's no, when you add on the fact that there are huge vacancy numbers or as well as, as that, there's those restructurings that went on before the pandemic, I think um, fewer and fewer people are across the industry are being asked to do more and more and so it becomes this doom loop as, as you like more people are leaving fewer fewer people are asked to do more and it starts to create the pressure a cycle. just increases absolutely yeah yeah um look it's a big question but from the report and from all of the discussions you've had with the retailers the brands the people working in those stores what do you think this tells us about the state of the, the, the high street retail industry now look we've had you know many years where people have seen stores closing mm. uh, their business going online um, reduction in headcount reduction in role maybe not reduction in opportunities as well where is the retail state of the nation at? I think that's a, uh, a really difficult question. And, and it's difficult because I think that the, the, the answer to that is quite broad in that, that, that we have seen a number of brands really thrive over the last couple of years. Uh, now, some of that has been because they've uh, had, um, you know, strong wins behind, behind them, um, thanks to the, the lockdown. Um, but it, but others, I think, really grasped the opportunity that the pandemic gave to um, create large amounts of change that, that that might not have happened as quickly as they needed to to without it. And there have definitely been some big success stories. I think the other thing that when you look at the DNA of those organisations that have come out of this stronger is that they had a very strong core set of values, a sense of purpose, uh, and a desire to really put their people first. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we, you know, for many years now, um, uh, that those businesses that haven't had a, a sense of their relevance and really put that first, and have just, you know, were driving profit over short-term profit over, uh, you know, longer-term sustainable gain. 
those are the ones that, that have struggled. So when I look at the retail industry, I see a very polarised industry now. Chris Book Carter, CEO of the Retail Trust, thanks very much for the conversation. Oh, thank you so much. Brilliant to be back and um, thank you for having me. Though the headlines of the Retail Trust report make for grim reading, there are many retailers within the industry who are on a mission to support retail colleagues whose resilience has been tested to their limits over the last few years. Anne Summers' Chief People Officer, Amelia Leakey, joined us to give her take on the Trust report and views on how retailers can lead a happier business. Amelia, I'd like to ask you to start with, what's your take on the findings of the Retail Trust report that's been launched today? Okay, thanks Mark. Um, I think that uh, most of the findings in the report are not um, surprising. I think we've had a really challenging couple of years in retail. Um, and I think therefore what we're seeing reflected in this feedback is a culmination of some of that. Um, and also about our current landscape that our retail colleagues are facing. I don't think it's just about retail. I think there's an element of what's happening societal-wise. I think that what's happening for people at home, um, whether that's from financial pressures or uh, things that happen in their own domestic situation, I think that's also been reflected in here. But we have to remember, obviously, retail employs a huge section of society and a huge proportion of the country. You know, aren't we the second biggest employer, second or third biggest employer after the civil service? So, you know, I guess we're reflecting society in these figures as much as we are the retail industry. Do you feel that that has now led to businesses seeing people, you know, much more as a key pillar in terms of the actual business profitability and sustainability and, and, and that actually a people first culture is more than making your staff happy but is actually intrinsic to the business? Yeah, I think it always has been. I just think that now it's um, higher up the agenda, probably because of the changes that we've seen over the last couple of years. So we know that uh, people that are happier at work are more productive and more likely to stay. And the pandemic has opened up this conversation with individuals. It was a bit of a leveller. You know, your CEO can talk to a logistics operative about how they're feeling, how their family are, how they're dealing with um, current situations. And now that we've come out of that, it's really hard to turn that conversation off. So um, I think it opened up the eyes of the board to some of the challenges that people face um, and their responsibility therefore on creating secure environments and yeah well-being being a really central point to that um, yeah and I think it's easier than ever to show that match back to productivity you know we've had stores you only have to look at you needed a couple of cases of COVID in a store to close it and that's obviously directly linked to um, productivity and profitability. Um, and I know that was a health issue, but mental health, you know, can have this, a, a similar impact. So it's been easier to engage the board, I think, with these kind of conversations. Are we really looking at a changed landscape? Or is it that there's just a much greater awareness now, firstly, of people's mental health uh, and how they're feeling, mm -hmm. and secondly, about how important that is to a business? Well, I've been in retail for a long, for all of my career. It does feel at the moment it's coming from every angle. You know, it does feel like we're in a perfect storm. I think it's very important to focus on what you can change um, and not get derailed by the things that you can't control. 
obviously as a people director of a business that's led actually by a very engaged um, leadership team in the well-being sphere it is something that I can affect and we can support our colleagues through so you know that's my ongoing ongoing challenge and, and work. Well Amelia it certainly sounds as if you're going to be very busy in the years to come thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to Retail Exchange at Retail Week Live 2022. Thank, thank you very you. much thank you Mark thanks. One company helping to give retail employees the tools to develop their skills and competence and practice new behaviour to develop as people is Attenzi, which specialises in gamified simulation-based training. Attenzi business development representative Joanna Acker joined us to explain more. Well, it's obviously a very timely matter. We've had the Retail Trust report today, which has really sort of revealed a lot of unhappiness in the roles for all of the people working in retail, which is perhaps not a huge surprise, unfortunately. Mm. I wonder whether you can say a little bit about the role training can play in improving existing and potential entrance to retail jobs and, and how people feel about the industry. Yeah, definitely. We're seeing that quite a lot. Like you said, um, it's it's very much a topic of interest right now for retailers on how do you retain staff. Um, attraction is a, is a big thing as well, but how do you actually show staff that they can progress in their roles and their careers? So one of the big things that we help with is giving them something that's engaging and relevant to them so that their learning is consistent with what they're actually doing in their role. As opposed to just a tick box exercise, it's something that they can do and they can take to the next level. And I guess one of the particular challenges recently has been onboarding. Absolutely, yeah. Onboarding is a big piece. Um, again, when, when people first join a job, how do you show them what to do without putting them in a situation that's uncomfortable? And you can do training, but how do you actually apply it to their day-to-day -day and their real life? And if somebody isn't onboarded in the right way, they're a lot more likely to leave. What are the key retail challenges that you're hearing from your clients and from people here at Retail Week Live? What's worrying them and what's, um, what are their real concerns? I think one of the biggest things that we've seen today in terms of trends is how do you get your staff to, to set the right tone of voice and to be, I guess, in a way, just as much brand ambassadors as your brand ambassadors are or your consumers are. Um, and I think that's something that people can definitely play on and, and can definitely improve on. But another thing has definitely been how do you get talent and retain it? And that's potentially the biggest challenge that they're facing in a lot of industries, but retail and hospitality specifically. Um, that's what I've been observing from just walking around today, having conversations with people and just the trends generally in, in the industry. Are you seeing retailers really now rethinking their training and rethinking how they're approaching things? Definitely. There's a lot of change that's going to be embedded within retailers, I think, especially on how they relate to Gen Zs. But there is also a lot of work that needs to be done on very basic level. Boots were mentioning it yesterday when they were having their um, talk on the, on the main stage. Is there's more underlying issues like Wi-Fi in stores or, uh, you know, the till system working correctly. So I think retail really needs to start thinking about it from a general perspective, especially the bigger retailers. Um, but absolutely engaging your staff is going to be a big piece your staff your frontline workers are your brand ambassadors they are what carries your brand they are what grows your business and if you're not focusing on that then then you can be in real trouble and finally for those people listening in who are nodding their heads and scratching their heads at the same time knowing that they need to make a change but not sure how to start what would your advice be about first steps in trying to rethink how you train and attract and, and retain staff one of the big things that we try to focus on when we're working with retailers is what's your biggest challenge that you're facing right now within the business? Focus on one thing that's really important to you and then see how you can affect change with your people. And then what you want to play on really is behavioural change. You want to make sure that you're embedding the right behaviours. And one way you can do that is through repetition in an engaging way. So there are three key areas to learning. You've got motivation, you have practice and you have knowledge. 
with all those three things, you can really embed behavioral change with your staff. If you focus on one of the elements, you might be missing the other three. And I think one of the things that we focus on quite a lot is how do you get that motivation, give them something engaging, give them something that they want to do, and you show them what their career pro progression looks like, which is more likely to get them to a stage where they want to do the learning and they want to get the knowledge. And the most important thing is repetition. Learning through failure is the best way for us as humans to learn because that's when our senses are kind of most embedded. That's when we really want to do something is by failing. A lot of people that play games know this because you want to achieve a level of mastery, but you only get there if you fail because you're learning as you go. And that's the learner journey that we really focus on. So focus on giving people the opportunity to fail in a comfortable place. And that is like the perfect combination essentially, but you've got to make sure it's engaging. Thank you so much, Joanna, for sharing your insights and speaking to the Retail Exchange podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Last month, Retail Week published an in-depth report in partnership with Grey Orange that uncovered some of the new thinking and technology needed to transform retail supply chain. The company's head of retail, Robert Hughes, joined Carl McKeever to shed light on how retailers can bridge the gap between supply chain teams, store staff and C-suite to drive transformative change. Just given us an idea of some of the key themes from your um, address on stage. Uh, it was really about you know the future of supply chain. How is it going to do things differently? Um, and how do we move from almost a 20th century model into a 21st century requirement? And of course, that's one of the big themes of this whole event, isn't it? Radical change, that's the, the big billing. So what are some of those you know, really big change areas where you feel that we need to take some urgent action? Um, it, look, it depends. And this, is, this seems to be the, the, the normal response, that it depends seems to be the response for everything um, in, the, in the industry. But I think it's probably because a lot of um, supply chains or distribution networks are very customized. So that means that it requires a lot more attention to detail than it would have in the past. I think as we move forward, we're going to start looking at standardization in, in, in certain areas. And that will really help drive up adoption. It will really help us uh, take new technologies and um, just the convergence of new technologies to try and deliver a better outcome for companies. Well, look, it's been my pleasure to talk to you and enjoy the rest of the event. Thanks very much, Carl. My pleasure. Fresh from his talk on stage, Stefan Hull, Director of Cloud Native Consultancy and Mido, joined me to explore the issues of an in-store transformation and how retailers can remove roadblocks to modernization to accelerate growth, efficiency and innovation. You've been on stage. Can you give me a little bit of an overview of the key themes that you brought out? So it was about reimagining the store, but I think the initial sort of question was what does, uh, you know, what do you need to perfect before you think about store transformation? I think the, the, the point that we were discussing is the fact that almost before you get to store transformation, you need to really understand, you know, what your business strategy is and how that then plays out in the store. So, um, you know, I'm still surprised by the number of businesses I speak to when you sort of say to them, can you articulate those strategy? They'll, they'll give you some objectives, but you say, well, okay, how are you going to achieve those objectives? And, 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 and quickly you sort of think, well, actually, there's not really a strategy here. So the, the point I think we were all making was before you think about reimagining your store, you need to be really clear about, you know, what you want to be famous for, how deeply do you understand your customers, um, how are you going to grow? What are your routes to market? Is it introducing new SKUs? Is it new geographies? Is it incremental gains from existing customers? Um, and I think that was, a, you know, that was an, an interesting starting point. Really, it sort of took it away from just thinking about store to thinking around strategy, which then led us, I think, into a conversation around, you know, what's changed over the last two years, um, what's on the minds of retailers, and again, that was 
you know, two years ago, I was having a lot of conversations about tech with retailers. You know, often a CEO would go to a conference and see something shiny and say, why are we not doing it? And I'm still having some of those conversations, but a lot more now is around, yeah, reimagining, you know, what do we want to be known for? And actually, what technology do we need in order to help deliver on that promise? So it feels a lighter touch now, more about storytelling, more about what feelings do I want to evoke in store? What experiences do I want people to have? So yeah, it was an interesting, you know, I think we got very quickly from talking about stores to thinking about, you know, more broadly around doing business. And it's interesting, the very first keynote here at Retail Week Live was from Boohoo, who were talking about radical transformation. And actually her key message was to look at all the basics that you're doing and where you are now and change those. And actually you can achieve radical transformation through doing better with what you have before you look at the next new shiny thing as you said yeah and i think you know joe i was there for that talk and she was talking very much around you know insight not data action actually doing things so you know i'm sure there's still a place for big management consultancies but i think there's also a place for more you know in my world in the software engineering world i think about you know continuous improvement and continuous deployment so rather than going for perfect in the big old singing all dancing strategy that you know might not necessarily last very long is how can we get enough of a strategy that we can test things and try things? And I thought her, you know, a lot of her messages were, you know, very much on point. Again, a couple of years ago, talking to a lot of people about data, and, you know, it was all about capturing as much data as possible. And having a conversation recently with a, a sort of senior director of a big retailer, and, and, and he said, actually, now we're almost thinking, what's the minimum amount of data we need in order to make good business decisions? Knowing that, you know, rather than 100 data points, 10 data points might get us a right answer 80% of the time, and we're happy to live with that. And I think that's interesting because then that opens up that whole sphere because, you know, data was seen as something complex, difficult to do, expensive to do. And I'm seeing more retailers sort of, you know, starting small almost with data and thinking what's the minimum amount we need to make some better decisions here. And it's about making better decisions, not perfect decisions. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for your time here today and joining us at the Retail Exchange Retail Week Live 2022. Thank you. The retail industry continues to be shaped by themes around sustainability and the circular economy. This didn't go unnoticed that this year's Retail Week Live 2022 either. John Lewis and Partnership Sustainability Lead, George Barrett, took to the stage to showcase the winners of a £1 million innovation fund launched by John Lewis in partnership with Hubbub, designed to support trailblazing innovations that will help retailers rethink waste and accelerate the transition towards a more circular economy. George, welcome to Retail Week Live. Let's start at the beginning. Can you explain what that actually is? What does it mean? Yeah, so the Circular Future Fund um, was set up last year. We did something similar in 2019 called Waitrose Plan Plastic. Uh, so we raised these funds through um, the sale of, or the, or the revenue generated from the sale of carry bags, so the 5 and 10p levy. Um, one of the learnings from that Waitrose Plan Plastic was we supported some great initiatives, but perhaps they were a little bit far away from our core business model. Um, and therefore, what we wanted to do with the Circular Future Fund was support trailblazing innovations that can accelerate the transition to a more circular economy, but with organisations that perhaps are a little bit closer to our core model that we can then help in in other ways. Was the creation of a fund as the mechanism for doing it, was that important? Was it important to have something that was sort of emblematic and that perhaps sort of set the stall out, if you were? I mean, was that why you chose to go down that particular route? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. You know, the government stipulate that 
any revenue generated from those 5 and 10p carry bag sales have to be given to good causes. We could have just simply given it as a donation to a charity. Um, and I'm sure there were many charities out there with fantastic projects that we could have supported. I think with this, it was about providing those organisations with a route to funding that they may not be able to traditionally access. And, and that's what really excites me. And the response from our partners from the C-suite all the way down has been kind of supportive, excited. And even they agree that the funding's, that's the easy part, right? Just selecting some great initiatives, that's the easy part. They want to know what's going to happen next. Um, so yeah, that that's all to come. Brilliant. Well, George, sadly our time is up, but thank you so much for coming and explaining what you're doing at John Lewis. It sounds like a fantastic initiative. And obviously, Retail Exchange, we uh, wish you well. Thank you for joining us at Retail Week Live. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Data-driven decision-making is transforming retail. Armed with detailed intelligence, retailers can unlock previously hidden insight. Snowflake head of retail industry, Paul Windsor, Join me to explain how retailers can connect the dots. I, I sort of picked it up at least two or three times yesterday at the first day of this event that people were saying we talk too much about data and not enough about insight. And I think um, this has been the struggles in the past. It's just being able to get your data into one single environment to allow you to gain the insight from the data. So I think we're now seeing retailers that are at that stage, which means they can now start to really understand their customer behaviours. And let's not forget... We're now in the most disruptive state we've ever been in this retail industry. In my generation, my career, I don't think this industry has been any more disruptive than it is now. You know, from a society perspective, behaviors have radically changed. We all live our lives differently. We're working from home. We're not shopping. We're not behaving as we were. So understanding that customer behavior right down to the individual customer is absolutely critical. You can only do that if you've got all of your customer data sitting in one place. I'm sure there are a lot of retailers listening today thinking, yes, this all sounds great, but where do I start? So where do they start? So first and foremost, um, you've got to be able to um, unleash your data, putting that data into a situation where it can be easily consumed from your data consumers. Your data consumers, you're your business analysts, your data analysts, your data scientists. They need a platform to be able to consume that data. The second point is, is that being able to um, enrich your data with third-party data. Most retailers today are making decisions off the back of their first-party data. So their data that they can actually capture themselves from their own business, their own operations. So if you want to start to understand more about the context of your business, you can enrich the third party data without moving or copying it, just bringing that together to start to understand your business from that point of view. The final area which is really, really important, I think this is the greatest transformation that I think we're going to see in the data space in the next number of years. We call it data collaboration. So with Snowflake today, we have 6,000 customers that are using the data cloud platform. And so there is an opportunity to give direct share of data to each other. So let me give you an example of what that looks like. So we have Albertsons today, which is in the US. They're the 16th largest retailer globally, um, and they're a grocer. And of course, being a grocer, they sell uh, lots of CPG products, one of them being Kraft Heinz. 
Um, and if you can imagine, when you think about your own shopping, how many Kraft Heinz products is probably sitting on shelves in Albertson stores, it's a large proportion, right? So what Albertsons wants to do is not disappoint their customers. They want to make sure that when customers come into their stores, the product is there, it's not out of stock, it's available for them to purchase. The way to really operationalize that is to make sure that Kraft Heinz sees Albertsons sales data of their goods and the changes to the inventory when sales take place as soon as possible. And what's happened for too many years now is there has been a latency, a data latency of getting that data from Albertsons to Kraft Heinz. So what Albertsons and Kraft Heinz have decided to do is for the sake of their customers and not disappointing them, Albertson shares the data of their sales and inventory instantly with Kraft Heinz without moving or copying the data. So if you can imagine, as soon as Albertsons updates its sales and its inventory, Kraft Heinz sees the data at the same time. This is this is hugely transformational, Mark. There's no delay, there's no duplication, there's no moving or copying the data. Kraft Heinz can see the same data as Albertsons at the same time of sales, stock, stock data from stores, distribution centers, etc. And what Kraft Heinz has gone on to say is this is going to help us reduce the outer stocks that take place in Albertson stores and we can remove that issue by being very, very proactive with that data. And finally, Paul, in terms of what we're seeing at Retail Week Live again, it seems to be the rise of CIOs and CTOs in terms of the strategic direction of businesses. I wonder whether we could talk a little bit about where you see things now and where you see the future direction? It's a really good question. Um, um, over the last five years, I've been quite passionate about the subject of data literacy. I feel that um, organizations today, we just recently done a survey that says that um, still a third of decisions are made, made today in retail businesses that are not data informed. So the way to get around that is to re raise the, the level of data literacy inside retailers. Where would that come from? It's got to come from CIOs, it's got to come from chief data officers, it's got to come from those people that are dealing with the data, that are looking to take advantage of the data today. I think these are the future leaders of retail businesses. They will come with a much greater data literate background. And then I think they're going to be the future leaders that's going to drive the companies forward being data driven. Well, you've given us a lot to think about there. Thank you so much for joining us at the Retail Exchange on Retail Week Live. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. It's been great. This year saw Retail Week Live host the Discovery Zone, which saw two days of fast and furious pitching by innovative startups in front of a panel of retail judges. CoCube Scouting Director Denise McQuaid was chairing the pitch off. She joined me to talk about the importance of harnessing startups to invent the future and the challenges retail leaders face in landing corporate innovation. For retailers, how difficult do you think it is for them to separate the hype from the innovations that are going to deliver real value? It is hard. Corporates are, can be slow to change. They can be slow to realise um, that, that, that the innovation can't happen internally. And actually, that's where we enable them to see the breadth and experience from a global perspective as to where and to what is happening in their industry. And we work through a process with the corporate to really get that 
relationship so seamless um, that the startup then feels like part of their team and part of what they're trying to do. Um, I think from from a you know the integration of the digital and physical experiences is, is is hard. It's a hard challenge for corporates. Um, and then obviously the sustainability element is going to continue to raise its head. We're going to ultimately have you know reporting legislation coming down that you know companies are going to have to meet uh, standards. Um, and I think retail is probably going to be the one that's going to have to have um, a, a real real ambition to make that change and um, I think you know that's where we can enable them to see what can support them to do that in baby steps and then sometimes in big game-changing ways. Fantastic Denise thank you so much for taking time out to talk at us at Retail Week Live 2022 today. Thank, thank you. you. Leaders from many a retail group were attending the event in search of fresh perspectives on the big issues facing the industry. British Independent Retailers Association CEO Andrew Goodacre joined us to give us a view on the big decisions facing its members right now. So we last chatted at Spring Fair um, back in February yes. this year. Um, and clearly, you know, nothing stands still in retail. The world continues to move on. But I think from the consumer uh, landscape, the retail environment is changing considerably. Yes, it is. Um, back in February, I think we saw um, people feeling optimistic. Um, we were seeing good levels of expenditure on the high street. We were hearing members reporting good, good positive results back to us. We run a buying group that was showing growth in the first quarter, that's January, February, March, which showed that shops were buying more to sell more. Come April, it's almost been in reverse for, for lots of retailers. Um, and I think we all know that the reasons why we, we've talked a lot about the cost of living increase or we've been told about it. April was when the, the new energy bill started to arrive and we all got that shock of seeing a 100% a increase in new energy costs, in, in my case anyway. Um, we then had, had Russia invading Ukraine and that sparked the, the, the concerns there about food supplies and about general safety um, in Europe. And it all leading to this very high inflation and supply inflation still there as well. So, And we've got, you know, uh, potentially recession as a conversation swirling around in the background. Yeah, I try not to use the R word, but you're right. We've got the governor <laughs> of the Bank of England talking about, um, you know, food inflation reaching apocalyptic levels. It's None of this is particularly good at reassuring um, consumers or giving them the confidence to spend. No, and that's a very good point you make. I, there's a real balance here between what the government and the, the media in general and the messaging that they need to give. Because yes, we have to be realistic. We have to recognize that inflation is at record, well, levels we're not seeing for 40 years. And there are concerns about, about what's fueling that in the future as well. But we've got to somehow retain a degree of consumer confidence. And we've got to find a way of, of reassuring the consumers that, that yes, A, there will be some support available, it should they need it, and B, that we still want them to carry on spending money um, on all sorts of things, retail services, everything that, that we need to keep the economy going as well, because we, we need to all work hard to try to avoid moving into a, a, a long, deep recession. None of us want to see that. Do you think the government might uh, look to do more now to help retailers specifically who are being challenged at this time? I, I do. I, we, government officials are very quick to tell us that during the COVID period, I think they spent £370 billion supporting businesses. And retail would have been a, a sizable chunk of that because there's thousands upon thousands of retailers. I would say to the government, as we said last October, don't waste that investment. 
you know, you've invested £370 billion into saving your economy and saving businesses and making sure that they had the chance to, to trade post-COVID. But now's not the time to stop some of that targeted support. And of course, one of, the other, one of the other things, which is uh, you know, a hot topic at the moment, and I think we're all waiting to see what happens next, is whether or not the government seeks to uh, put some sort of levy on not just the energy firms who've been uh, making excess profits at this time, uh, through no fault of their own, essentially, just mm. the market conditions, but also for pure play online retailers. Now, many of your members have worked hard to develop uh, an e-coms business, which is complementary to their high street sales. Presumably, you would see that as a negative set if more tax is going to be taken from you know, that side of the business, which has actually helped them through. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And um, the reality is uh, we did, we've done a lot of research. We've done roundtable meetings with members. Um, more than 70% of them are in favor of an online sales tax even if they're selling online themselves. Um, but there's a couple of what-ifs in there, or a couple of, of dependencies. Um, they, they're in favor of it, providing the money raised from it does indeed go to reduce business rates. And, and the government or the Treasury have said it will do, but they want the absolute categorical reassurance that it will do. So it's got to be ring-fenced. Absolutely. And the second proviso for, for the smaller retailer, and I think the larger retailers agree with this as well, is that um, and to pick up your point about uh, investing to grow, a lot of smaller retailers have invested in digital to grow their business, to move online and, and to transact more online. But if you're bringing in a, a sales tax, what you don't want to do is be disproportionate from that taxation point of view. So you don't want to create a whole load of red tape to capture £100 a year for a business just starting out developing its online sales. An online sales tax effectively should be and is in reality a big business tax mm -hmm. and what we're saying is that there should be a, a £2 million threshold of, of online sales below which the businesses are exempt. Andrew, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure again. And again, thank you. All the best. Thank you very much, Carl. The second day of the festival ended with a main stage panel discussion between three of today's biggest retail leaders as Iceland Managing Director Richard Walker, Co-op Chief Executive Joe Whitfield and Ocado Solution CEO Luke Jensen joined Retail Week's Isabel Chilman on stage to explore the future for grocery retail. Ending on a, on a more positive, forward-looking note, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for, for your business, for, for UK grocery in the next 12 months? Jo, I'll start with you. I, th I think, you know, continuing to innovate uh, for the customers, changing needs. So I, I think there's going to be, you know, really significant opportunities to keep showing up with uh, products that help people celebrate at home with emotion. You know, there's a big thing for me in our business around, you know, moments of joy, moments of family, moments of living life and how as food grocery we can be part of that given people are going to be adjusting to different circumstances getting behind those trading moments with with real passion um, I think you know there's this real opportunity around technology still you know this this evolution of e-com quick commerce I think is really exciting and um, and I think also um, I, I would imagine and I would hope that we really really push on with inclusion this year you know that we really take an opportunity to better understand our customers changing needs and continue to innovate and grow our business talent to help us with these very different circumstances so i think there's a huge opportunity to really ensure that we're pushing forward all of our inclusion um, opportunities as well and just keep bringing the best people into our businesses because that's how we'll continue to do the best job for our customers as well 
Richard? Uh, I'll keep it very quick. Um, ne never mind the next year. Next week, the big bumper double bank holiday mm -hmm. jubilee weekend because um, actually, you know, food, um, bricks and mortar stores, obviously online um, uh, as well. But, you know, we have a, a role to play in terms of sense of place and communities, bringing people together. Everyone's desperate to have a big party yeah. post-COVID. And uh, I think, you know, that's, that's right around the corner and hopefully the weather will shine and sales will be good. Hopefully. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to be great. Luke? I just think it's actually a great time for retailers to step up to the challenges that retailers like. People want more choice, more flexibility, more convenience, and they're definitely going to need it cheaper. Mm. So, yeah, it's a great challenge laid at our doorstep to say, how do you do that? Uh, in our case, how do you use technology online to do that? For the stores, it'll be how the stores manage to do that. But I think, yeah, retail, grocery retail has a great history of stepping up to the challenge, and I think that's what we're all going to have to do. We're going to have to change more than we've changed in the last decades over the coming few years. Joe, Richard, Luke, thank you so much for joining me. Thank Big you. round of applause for our panel. Thank you, everyone. We couldn't end this episode without giving the final word to Retail Week editor Luke Tugby to get his thoughts on the event, the key themes that will require action in the months to come and the outlook for retail for the remainder of 2022. So Luke, it's just finished. Your initial thoughts on the event. Do you know what, Mark? It's been absolutely brilliant to see people back in this kind of space again. Um, a lot of appetite for new innovation, um, people really wanting to do the, the best thing that they possibly can for customers, particularly at this moment in time. I think there's real demand for people to work together and build new partnerships to help them achieve that and as I say to, to do what's best for customers. Some real variety in terms of the content as well which has been great you know all, all kinds of innovation and everything from NFTs to, to cryptocurrency right down to you know the very basics of how to handle um, cost price inflation that all retailers are dealing with at the moment so very varied and, and an amazing um, input and buy-in from the retailers that we've seen here over the last couple of days. Well, as you said, it was a hugely diverse set of speakers and content. I know it's almost impossible to summarise, but I'm going to ask you to summarise. Um, are there any key things or themes that came out to you? I think seeing the way that retailers still want to innovate and change and improve the shopping experience has been really heartening, despite all of the pressures that they are facing right now. Um, the, the final session of the day, I think, was a, a you know a really good note to end Retail Week Live on. The, the CEO panel with uh, with Richard Walker from Iceland, Joe Whitfield at the Co-op, and, and Luke Jensen from Ocado, just really hammering home really the, the extent of the pressure that, that retailers are facing. Uh, Richard Walker was talking about how they'd frozen. Um, no pun intended, uh, the, the price of, of 60 of their frozen lines at, at a pound and, and previously they were making a margin of about 25% on those. Now they're making absolutely nothing. And that, in a nutshell, it just, just hammers home um, the extent of the pressure on, on certain retailers. It's going to be a tough year or so, uh, but retail is retail. It's, you know, it's, it always evolves, it always adapts, and it, and it will do so again, even in the most challenging of times, I'm sure. And I think, as you said, one of the things you have to really admire the retail industry for is the fact that they just have to keep responding to these challenges. And a lot of them are ones that no one could have even foreseen. A hundred percent, yeah. I was <laughs> chatting to a retailer a couple of days ago and, and they said, you know, we obviously didn't predict a pandemic, didn't predict war in Europe. So my next prediction is an alien invasion within the next 18 months. And as flippant as it is, you, you kind of wouldn't rule it out at the moment. Um, but we had Mike Coop, the, the former boss of, of Sainsbury's and now chair of New Look on stage earlier. And, and he was saying for every one 
big challenge of magnitude that retailers would have faced in, in his time as a chief exec three or four years ago. There's now 10 or 15 different challenges for every one. So that in a nutshell sums up everything that, that retailers are grappling with at the moment, everything in the supply chain, cost of living crisis. There's so much to think about. But retail is resilient. It's, you know, it's come through tough times in the past and, and it will do so again by hook or by crook. And for all those that came here and didn't go to every session, or for those foolish enough not to attend this year, I believe there's also a post-show report coming out. Absolutely, yes. And I believe you're helping us with that, Mark. So it, it will be a, be. Must, a must read, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, absolutely stacked full of, uh, of content, I'm sure, to try and uh, pick out the, the best bits. But so much to talk about. I'll, I'll let you do the hard work, Mark. And I'm sure you'll put that together much more concisely and eloquently than, than I've done today. Okay, so now feeling the pressure, I'm going to ask you one last question, which is, and we'll end up on an upbeat note, reasons to be cheerful amongst all the challenges. Why should we feel optimistic about the next six months and going forwards from there? Well, I, I said it before, retail is a, is a resilient industry. It's, it's dynamic, it's agile. It's, I genuinely did not appreciate how fast-moving, customer-centric it was until I joined Retail Week seven-odd years ago. Um, it just consistently improves, adapts, overcomes challenges, and it will continue to do so. And, and I mentioned the kinds of innovation that are already coming through, the, the partnerships that have been struck through the pandemic, and I'm sure have been struck today while we've been here at, at Old Billingsgate. And retailers will remain as close to their customers as any other industry in, in the UK or in the world. They will do what's best for their customers, and they will come through this stronger they might not think it right now but they will so many retailers came through the pandemic stronger than they entered it uh, and the same will happen again over over the next six to twelve months um that, i mean that's that's all i can say really that, that that will absolutely happen i promise you well look i feel like i've just done the post manager interview just after a game <laughs> with the emotions fresh um so thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to us just literally as the ceos came off stage and congratulations on an amazing Retail Week Live. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for being here and uh, cheers for talking to us. Cheers. Well, that's all we have time for on this episode from here in London, what has been a hugely enjoyable Retail Week Live 2022. Stay tuned for more episodes from the event coming up exclusively right here, only on the Retail Exchange podcast. But for now, from me, Mark Faithful, and the rest of the Retail Exchange podcast team, thanks for listening. This episode of the Retail Exchange was brought to you in association with Inkpact. Make your customer journey more human with scalable, effective, personal marketing that connects your brand with customers, one handwritten, personalized note at a time. Putting human connection at the center of your CRM and loyalty programs. Visit inkpact.com today to learn more and to order your sample note card. Inkpact. Real. Human. Connection.